Volume 45, Number 10 of the Liahona Magazine for October 2021. Contents Thus Shall My Church Be Called by President Henry B. Eyring Gospel Basics, Temple Work What the Temple Means to Me by Lisa Preble Introducing the Temple to Our Friends by Miriam Glaua Temple Work Blesses All, Living and Dead by Sibonello Minquavi Ministering Principles Ministering Through Creating Belonging Understanding and Including Our LGBT Brothers and Sisters by Ryan J. Wessel Portraits of Faith I Had Faith That God Would Hear Us by Chiomasi Duru Acting Faithfully Do You Know How Grateful I Am by Sherry Hyder Wright For Parents Temples, the name of the church, and including others. And Latter-day Saint voices. Come follow me. Early Women of the Restoration, A Glorious Doctrine, by Spencer W. McBride. Doctrine and Covenants, sections 109 through 124. The Kirtland Temple, A Place of Holiness, by Elder Jeremy R. Yagi. Young Adults, Covenants Can Transform Our Relationships, by Emily Abel The Blessings of Being a Temple Worker by Robert Perry More for you Area Pages Insert and Digital-Only Articles End of Contents Read by Wes Nelson Welcome to this issue Blessings of Temple and Family History Work I have experienced many blessings in my life through participating in Temple and Family History Work and have also witnessed in the lives of others that it is never too late to receive these blessings for living and deceased family members. In the April 2018 General Conference, Elder Dale G. Renland said, When God directs us to do one thing, He often has many purposes in mind. Family history and temple work is not only for the dead, but blesses the living as well. Elder Renland then mentioned many blessings, including healing blessings that can come to our families as we participate in temple and family history work. See Family History and Temple Work, Sealing and Healing, Liahona, May 2018, pages 46 and 47. In this issue, several church members and I share how Heavenly Father has blessed us through temple work. See pages 12, 14, 16, 30, and 46. We address different questions, such as, how do I prepare to go to the temple for the first time? How do I talk to my friends about the temple? And in my article, how do we keep the temple close to us when it's physically far away? We can all experience healing blessings in our own lives, no matter our challenges, as we strive wherever possible to be involved in temple and family history work. Through our individual efforts, no matter how small we perceive them to be, we can all help with furthering the work of the Lord in redeeming our dead and strengthening our families. Sincerely, Lisa Preble, Devonport, Australia Stake. Read by Rena Nelson. The church is here. Yuba City, California, USA. Yuba City lies between a feather river and the world's smallest mountain range, Sutter Butte. 
The arrow shows where the Feather River Temple is now being built. There are 756,507 members in California, 11 congregations in Yuba City, California stake. There will be eight temples in California when the Feather River Temple is completed. You have to have hope. Fire destroyed the nearby town of Paradise in 2018, but survivors like Peg Brandfold found comfort knowing that a temple had been announced. You have to have hope that things will get better, she says. End of The Church is Here Read by Dwayne Case Thus shall my church be called by President Henry B. Eyring, Second Counselor in the First Presidency. When we use the full name of the church, we are blessed, and we bless others. In Africa, individuals searching for a church to join reported having dreams. In their dreams, they were instructed to look for a church called by the name of Jesus Christ. As they searched, they found only one church in which the Savior's name is central, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. In Latin America, several Latter-day Saints reported that their invitations to friends to attend the Mormon Church had met with frustration. That changed when they extended an invitation to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. If your church is called the Church of Jesus Christ, their friends responded, we would like to come and see. In the United States, a primary boy invited his neighbors to his baptism. A minister of another faith said he never would have gone to a Mormon church baptism. But because he could tell that the boy's church focused on Jesus Christ, the minister attended with his wife. When an airline reservation agent asked a member of the church for an email address, the member answered, LDSChurch.org What church is that? the agent asked. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the member answered. I go to work for days at a time without ever being able to speak about the Lord, the agent said. Knowing that I am speaking to another Christian just makes my day. The church member quickly updated his airline profile with the church's new email address, churchofjesuschrist.org. A promise fulfilled. These wonderful stories represent the fulfillment of a promise President Russell M. Nelson made to Latter-day Saints in October 2018 and again in April 2020. I promise you that if we will do our best to restore the correct name of the Lord's Church, he whose church this is will pour down his power and blessings upon the heads of the Latter-day Saints, the likes of which we have never seen, President Nelson said. We will have the knowledge and power of God to help us take the blessings of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, and to prepare the world for the second coming of the Lord. Recently, via my social media accounts, I invited church members to tell me about the blessings they have received from using the correct name of the church. 
I was touched to receive more than 2,600 responses. I would like to share some of them with you. They will sound familiar because you have received similar blessings as you have followed President Nelson's counsel. Closer to Jesus Christ I was moved by Jacob's testimony of how the full name of the church has helped him focus on the Savior. I've noticed that my focus on Jesus Christ has seeped into every aspect of my life, he shared with me. When I take this sacrament, I think of him and his atoning sacrifice. When I read the scriptures, I pay more attention to his words and other references to him. This has drawn me closer to him and has helped me better understand his role as my Savior and Redeemer. I felt blessed learning what the Savior's name means to Beth and Bryce. I have felt a closer connection to my Savior, Beth said. When I am asked what church I go to, and I reply that I belong to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I feel a true sense of belonging. I belong to His people. I belong to His family. I belong to Him. Bryce told me that the correct name of the church helps him remember whom I serve and whom I seek to become more like. It reminds me that the Savior is the one who gives these teachings and that they don't come from men. The Savior's name has power. Haley, a full-time missionary, said, Using the correct name of the Lord's church brings more power and authority when we teach others of his restored gospel. When I say, The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Spirit of the Lord confirms and witnesses that this is the Lord's Church restored upon the earth today. I love using the correct name because I am also adding my living witness to that truth. And Nicola told me, Previously, if I said Mormon, Often there would be that flicker of uncertainty with those not of our faith. You could almost hear the rush of memory of all they've ever heard about the Mormons. But now there is a peace, most often acceptance. The Savior's name has power. He brings peace. My testimony of the truthfulness of the gospel has grown just by saying the correct name of the church. I feel the Spirit each time I say it. Sometimes it is all I get to say about what we believe, but it is enough. Clarifying Misconceptions Harold, a university professor in the United States, said that using the full name of the church has helped him clarify misconceptions. He told me that one student, attempting to summarize the discussion on religion, stated, I guess all religions are Christians, except for the Mormons. Seeing a golden moment to clear up that misconception, Harold said, I told the students that Mormon was a nickname given to the members of the church because of our belief in the Bible and the Book of Mormon as two ancient scriptural witnesses of Jesus Christ. Mary opened her heart to me, sharing how the church's full name has blessed her in teaching her children. My children have less confusion now when I teach them that we are saints of the Church of Jesus Christ in these latter days, versus referring to ourselves as Mormons. They used to be confused and ask, Why Mormon? Does that mean we aren't Christians? I feel that this change has helped them 
when speaking to other children at school who are not believers. I am a missionary for Jesus Christ. President Nelson promised that as we use the correct name of the church, we will have the knowledge and power of God to spread the gospel. Teresa inspired me with her story about what happened when a friend at work asked her about the church. Following President Nelson's counsel, Teresa began by sharing the church's full name. He was interested in the church, she told me. He investigated it for several months, and then, miraculously, he was baptized by my son, the bishop. I felt so happy that day, and my family too. The promises are true. Jordan said that many people still aren't familiar with the name of the church. Using the full name of the church, he said, gives me a chance to explain how the church is centered on Jesus Christ and why we refer to ourselves as Latter-day Saints. When a man asked Chloe if she was a Mormon missionary, she powerfully testified, No, I am a missionary for Jesus Christ. Chloe told me the man expressed desires to follow the Savior. So she taught him that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is led by the Savior. Then she gave him information about his church. Call the church in my name. In revealing his church's name to the prophet Joseph Smith, the Savior declared, For thus shall my church be called in the last days, even the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Doctrine and Covenants, section 115, verse 4. And to the Nephites he said, Ye shall call the church in my name, for how be it my church, save it be called in my name. Third Nephi, chapter 27, verses 7 and 8. I testify with the Latter-day Saint named Tommy that when we use the full name of the church, we are blessed and we bless others. Tommy told me, as I share with others the blessings of being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in a time when strife and fear prevail, I realize I am helping others know that there is refuge from the storm with the disciples of Jesus Christ who care for them and who follow Him. End of Thus Shall My Church Be Called by President Henry B. Eyring Second Counselor in the First Presidency Read by Dwayne Case Gospel Basics Temple Work Temples are the house of the Lord. We can receive ordinances and make covenants with Him in temples. We can also perform ordinances in the temple for our ancestors. Throughout history, the Lord has commanded His people to build temples. Temples are holy places where we can feel God's love, receive ordinances, and make promises with Him. The church is building temples around the world so more and more people can have these blessings. The Endowment Church members who are living righteously go to the temple to receive ordinances and make covenants or promises with God. One ordinance we receive in the temple is the endowment. The word endowment means a gift. The temple endowment is a gift from God. In this ordinance, we learn about Heavenly Father's plan for our salvation, and we make covenants to keep God's commandments. 
If we are faithful to the covenants we make, God will bless us. Sealing Families Together A marriage in the temple is also called a sealing. When a couple are sealed in the temple, and they keep their covenants, they will be married forever. If they have children, those children will also be sealed to them. Parents who are sealed after they have had children can have their children sealed to them. If they live righteously, they will be a family throughout eternity. Temple Work for All of God's Children We do family history work to find about our ancestors. We then do temple work on their behalf. We perform for them all the ordinances that the living need, baptism, confirmation, receiving the priesthood for men, endowment, and sealing. They can then choose if they want to accept these ordinances. In this way, all of God's children can enjoy the blessings of the gospel. Blessings of Temple Work If we keep the covenants we make in the temple, we will be blessed, protected, and strengthened. We will have the power of the priesthood with us. Our families will be together forever. The temple is also a place of peace and revelation. As we do temple work, we can receive spiritual guidance and feel God's love. From the Scriptures The Lord's people are commanded to build temples. See Doctrine and Covenants, section 124, verse 39. The work done in temples includes sealing families together. See Doctrine and Covenants, section 138, verses 47 through 48. The ordinances we perform on earth are binding in heaven. Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, Doctrine and Covenants, section 132, verse 46. Also in this issue, we hope you have enjoyed learning about temple work. Here are some other gospel words from this issue. Ministering, attending to others' needs in a Christ-like way to help everyone feel loved within the church. See page 18. Deacons, the first office in the Aaronic Priesthood. One of the most visible duties of a deacon is to pass the sacrament. See page 38. Revelation. Communication from God to His children. It comes through the Holy Ghost, usually as a thought or feeling. See page 30. End of the article, Temple Work. Read by David Shaw. What the Temple Means to Me by Lisa Preble My husband and I live in Tasmania, the island state south of mainland Australia. Our local temple is the Melbourne Australia Temple, about 300 miles, or 480 kilometers, away. We were fortunate to attend the Melbourne Temple in November 2019 for a few days. Little did we realize it would be our last trip for a significant amount of time. Before the pandemic, my husband and I would attend the temple anywhere between one and four times a year. To get there, we would either take a flight or a ferry. Some years, that has been hard financially, so we made the trip less often. Some of those trips were day trips. Others lasted a few days. I am a temple ordinance worker, so those few days that I attended the temple were a precious opportunity to reconnect with my calling, to learn more about Heavenly Father's plan, and to serve others and see them experience joy and happiness in the temple. 
When the temple and our state borders closed during the COVID-19 pandemic, I wondered how I would keep the temple as a meaningful part of my life. I felt strengthened by feelings of the Holy Ghost that even though the temple was closed, the blessings of my temple covenants were not closed to me. I felt an added closeness to the Lord, particularly when I focused on serving others, whether in my own family or those I minister to. I spent time reviewing in my mind the covenants I have made, the feelings I have experienced in the temple, and the knowledge I have gained. I reviewed in my mind the wording of the ordinances. I continued researching my family history, entering names and sources into family search, and sharing those names with the temple. I look forward to seeing the list of shared names start to be completed when the temples reopen. Years ago, a dear sister in our ward shared with me that because an endowment session took roughly two hours and because she lived so far from the temple, she had decided to commit a minimum of two hours a week to family history work. She wanted to show the Lord that she was committed to temple work, even though it was challenging for her to get to the temple. Her goal really touched me, so I set the same goal for myself. The October 2020 General Conference talk given by Elder Ronald A. Rasband of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles reminded me of that long-held goal. He said, We do temple work when we search for our ancestors and submit their names for ordinances. While our temples have been closed, we have still been able to research our families. With the Spirit of God in our hearts, we are, by proxy, standing in for them to be recommended to the Lord. The 20th anniversary of the Melbourne Temple dedication occurred in 2020, bringing with it a flood of tender remembrances of the blessings our family had received in attending this and other temples since that dedication in 2000. The temple has been a foundation of our family's strength and testimony. With our four children, we have attended several temples throughout mainland Australia to see our children perform baptisms, receive their endowments, and be sealed to their spouses. Having a current temple recommend helps to ensure that my enthusiasm for living the gospel of Jesus Christ remains current. My recommend renewal interviews have been times of reflection. They have provided me with the opportunity to express my testimony. They have allowed me to strengthen my conviction, to remain true and faithful to the multiplicity of blessings. They have allowed me to strengthen my conviction to remain true and faithful to the multiplicity of blessings promised by the Lord that I and my family have received and been strengthened by. Having a current temple recommend is about my faith, my commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ, my joy, my hope, my gratitude, my obedience, and my love for my Savior Jesus Christ and my Heavenly Father. The author lives in Tasmania, Australia. Read by Rena Nelson. Introducing the Temple to Our Friends by Miriam Glaua. I felt immense joy when two of my friends attended the temple open house with me. When the Montreal Quebec Temple was rededicated after major renovations in 2015, open houses were organized by our local leaders. 
it was the ideal time to invite friends to come and see the temple. I immediately thought of two good college friends who had already asked me about the church and my beliefs. In the past, both of them had agreed to attend sacrament meeting at Christmas time. I had also invited them to my wedding two years earlier. That had been an opportunity to explain to them why they could come to the reception, but not to the sealing ceremony in the temple. Still, even though I, I had talked with them about the church before, I hesitated to invite them. I feared being in an uncomfortable situation if they refused. Finally, I got the courage and asked them over the phone, would you like to see the place where I was married? The temple is open to the public for guided tours. If that's of interest to you, we could go together. The answer in both cases was a swift, yes, I would like that. One of my friends came with her two children and the other came with her spouse. It was an unforgettable experience for me. I felt immense joy in being able to share my love for the temple with them. In his October 2020 General Conference talk, recommended to the Lord, Elder Ronald A. Rasband of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles reminded us, on the outside of every temple in the church are the fitting words, holiness to the Lord. The temple is the Lord's house and a sanctuary from the world. His spirit envelops those who worship within those sacred walls. He sets the standards by which we enter as his guests. The temple serves as a refuge from the evils of the world. When I remember that, I understand why those who enter it must live lives in harmony with the teachings of the Lord as found in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. In fact, everyone is invited to experience the joy of making sacred covenants with God. But in order to do so, we must meet the criteria He has set to qualify for a recommend. It is up to each of us to decide whether to follow His laws. When we explain to our friends the difference between a temple and a meeting house, we can simply tell them that, one, the temple is the house of God. It is a peaceful place where faithful members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints can make sacred promises to God that they will live their lives in harmony with His commandments. It is a place where we learn more about our purpose in life and where families can be sealed together forever. In the temple, we can perform gospel ordinances like baptism for our ancestors who didn't have a chance to receive them when they were alive. Two, meeting houses are welcoming places where members meet on Sundays to learn about Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ and to take the sacrament. On weekdays, we use meeting houses for social or sports activities. Visitors are always welcome at our meeting houses, both on Sundays and during the week. Simply sharing our testimonies with our friends about what the temple means to us can help them feel the spirit. It will witness to them of the holiness of this place. I regard the temple with great respect and gratitude. When I go there, I feel like I have a greater perspective on my life. I can take a step back from the challenges I face 
and have a clear idea of what should be the daily focus of my attention. I feel closer to God and to my Savior, Jesus Christ, but also to members of my family, both present and past. My favorite visits to the temple are the ones with my husband. Our love is strengthened as we remember the covenants we made with our Father in heaven and with each other as we were sealed for time and all eternity. The author lives in Quebec, Canada. Read by Jane Wise Temple Work Blesses All, Living and Dead by Sibonello Minkwabe In 2018, I made a goal to receive a temple recommend. One year later, my fiancé and I were sealed in the temple for all eternity. When temple visits for my branch were announced, I attended. Even though I could not yet enter the temple, I often walked the temple grounds. I prayed to Heavenly Father, expressing my deepest desires to one day enter the temple. Some of these visits were only ten minutes, but they had a profound impact on my spirit. On one particularly cold and rainy evening, I arrived at the temple late. Although the grounds were closed, temple security allowed me a few moments on the grounds. I had with me a copy of the temple's dedicatory prayer. I was impressed to read it. I was filled with emotions as I read the following words, Wilt thou whisper peace to thy people by the power of thy spirit when they come here with burdened hearts to seek direction in their perplexities? Wilt thou comfort and sustain them when they come in times of sorrow? Wilt thou give them courage, direction, and faith when they gather as to a refuge from the turmoil of the world? Wilt thou reassure them of the reality and divinity, and of the reality and divinity of thy resurrected Son? I knew then that my visits to the temple grounds meant something to the Lord, even though I was not inside the temple. My Goal to Attend my desire to attend the temple began one morning in December 2018. I sat in bed reading an April 1999 general conference talk by Elder Richard G. Scott of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. He spoke about the importance of being worthy to enter the temple. He said the temple is a place of peace, solitude, and inspiration. Regular attendance will enrich your life with greater purpose. He went on to add this stunning statement, Go to the temple. You know it is the right thing to do. Do it now. I highlight this passage, looked at my 2019 state calendar, and noted that my branch was scheduled to visit the Johannesburg, South Africa temple every second Friday of the month. I made a goal to go to the temple grounds at least once a month, either with my branch or by myself even though I did not yet have a temple recommend. Worthy to Enter In early January, I spoke with my branch president about receiving a recommend and eventually entering the temple. I was eager to achieve this goal. In August, I obtained a limited-use recommend and was able to visit the baptistry with the youth of my branch. I was baptized for my two uncles and maternal grandfather. I also started taking the temple preparation class in anticipation of receiving my endowment. Until then, I continued visiting the temple and participating in baptisms. Finally, on November 2nd, 
2019, I entered the temple with my fiancé, and we walked out as husband and wife, sealed together for time and eternity. Words cannot express the spirit that attended this great occasion. My wife and I continued to attend the temple. We had many precious and sacred experiences until the worldwide temple closure in 2020 due to COVID-19. The temple is for all. My mother's sister is not a member of the church, but she had come to the temple for our sealing. Afterward, she shared an experience she had after visiting the temple grounds. She had a dream that she was again at the temple for our sealing, but this time, all my family members, including those I had performed baptisms for, were with us. Your mother was also there, she said, but she kept saying, I can't see my son. Why can't I see my son? I sobbed after hearing this, and I knew why my mother could not see me. She had passed on in 2002, and I had been procrastinating having her ordinances done for her in the temple. I resolved to do this as soon as possible. Soon I was privileged to perform her baptism and say her full name as I baptized the young woman who was acting as proxy for my mother. I have a strong testimony that the temple is the house of God. We can access His power when we are there. I also know that the temple offers blessings to all of God's children, whether living or dead. The author lives in Gatang, South Africa. Read by Jeff Hawkins Ministering Principles Ministering Through Creating Belonging It's not unusual for us to be with a group, but feel that we don't belong to it. When this happens at church, it can be especially hard for someone who may be struggling. President Gordon B. Hinckley, 1910-2008, taught that everyone who joins the church needs a friend. Ministering brothers and sisters have the opportunity to make sure that every member knows they have a friend within the ward or branch. This is especially important for anyone who feels that he or she doesn't fit the mold. Those who feel that they don't fit in might include those who are new members, new move-ins, single, childless, young, old, less active, quiet, or struggling in some way. They include those who look, sound, think, dress, or act differently than others in the group do. In other words, any of us can feel at times like we don't belong. Elisa, a woman who had struggled to fit in because of her race, says, Being different can be hard, and it's hard to describe what it's like to someone who hasn't experienced it. However, she says, I felt seen and included by simple acts of kindness and reaching out. I feel included when people make an effort to have a real conversation with me, make time for me, or invite me to spend time with them. It feels so good when people show that they want to be around you. Ideas for Creating Belonging What can ministering sisters and brothers do to help create a place of belonging for others? 1. Hear them. We feel a sense of belonging when we know we are heard and seen as we are, even with our imperfections. We don't have to fix someone's problems. In fact, we often can't. 
but we can listen with compassion and curiosity, reflect back on what we hear to make sure we are understanding, and ask what else is on their mind. These are skills of connection we can practice personally and model for others. Two, pray for them. We may feel prompted to pray for them. We may also be prompted to ask if we can pray with them or to ask what we can pray for on their behalf. Three, invite, introduce, and include. Invite them toward activities, service projects, social events, or informal group activities. Take them with you if possible. Introduce them to others and include them in conversations by asking them questions that bring them in. Help those who are newly moved in to know who other new people are, as they may also be looking for friends. 4. Assess. Ask them directly how connected they feel in the ward. Who are their friends? Who could be? Ask about their interests, hobbies, children, and concerns, so you can be alert to opportunities to connect them with others they have things in common with or who might need their skills. 5. Point out strengths. We feel belonging when we know we have something to give. Point out things you notice they do well. Ask what someone who knows them well would say their strengths are. If they don't know, invite them to ask. Look for ways their strengths could strengthen others. 6. Counsel with leaders. As appropriate, let ward leaders know what the strengths and needs of these others are so that the leaders have the information they need as they seek inspiration for meaningful assignments and callings. 7. Empower them. Help them appreciate the skills they have by asking questions such as these. When you've needed new friends in the past, what have you done? If you wanted to deepen a friendship with someone, what would you do? What have you tried so far as ways to connect with others? What else could you try? Additional research. Learn more by reading the following. Nine Ways to Make a Powerful Difference. Digital Only Article. Leahona, October 2021. Found in the Gospel Library Online or the mobile app. Including Everyone. Leahona, January 2021, pages 32 and 33. We Can Do Better. Welcoming Others into the Fold. Ensign, September 2017, pages 38 to 43, or Leahona, September 2017, pages 22 through 27. End of Ministering Principles, read by Dwayne Case. I Had Faith That God Would Guide His Prophet by Choma C. Duru because we had been calling ourselves Mormons and LDS, people did not recognize the full name of the church. I resolved to pray that we members of the church would realize our mistake. While thinking about this, I remembered the prophet and how only he can speak for the Lord to the whole world. So, if a change was going to happen, it would need to come from him. I had faith that God truly does reveal His will to His prophet. To read more of Choma's story, see this issue in the Gospel Library 
or use the QR code. Read by Kristen Hawkins Understanding and Including Our LGBT Brothers and Sisters by Ryan J. Wessel We can all help unify our wards and communities. In the first few months after being called as a bishop, I was surprised when three sets of parents in my ward each approached me in private to let me know that they had a child who identified as gay or transgender. In each case, the parents expressed sincere love for their child, coupled with various levels of concern that their child would not fit in the ward community. Eventually, other families also shared similar information with me, and I realized that even though I wasn't too familiar with these experiences, as a bishop, I had the privilege of helping all of my ward members build a more unified community, no matter what they were experiencing. I quickly realized that to be a more effective bishop, I needed to be willing to try to understand the experiences of members who identify as LGBT and their families. So, through heartfelt and open conversations, trial and error, a lot of study, and relying on the Lord for understanding, I learned a lot about how I could provide greater support to members in these circumstances as they strive to come unto Christ. My eyes were opened to the need for unity and understanding, and I learned a few lessons that helped me as a bishop set a more inclusive tone with regard to all of our LGBT brothers and sisters. I hope that as leaders and others read what I learned, they will find some helpful ideas for their own situations. Lesson 1. Follow the Living Apostles I quickly discovered the value of becoming familiar with the most recent apostolic teachings about the topic. A beautiful truth of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is that we are led by living apostles and prophets, and to me, the word living implies that we have guidance in our time for how the gospel applies to the needs of our time. Therefore, if we rely only on the language of the past, we may miss out on beautiful and important guidance the Lord is providing through our current prophets. One resource that helped me review recent apostolic teachings was the Life Help section of the Church's website, especially the pages titled Same-Sex Attraction and Transgender. A few statements that specifically stood out to me include the following. Elder D. Todd Christofferson of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles said, The diversity we find now in the Church may be just the beginning. Frankly, I think we will see greater and greater diversity. The fact that people can bring different gifts and perspectives and the wide range of variants and backgrounds and challenges that people face will show us what really is essential in the gospel of Christ. And that much of the rest that has been perhaps acquired over time and is more cultural than doctrinal can slip away and we can really learn to be disciples. Elder Quentin L. Cook of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles extended the invitation to be at the forefront in terms of expressing love, compassion, and outreach. Let's not have families exclude or be disrespectful of those who choose a different lifestyle as a result of their feelings about their own gender. To encourage my ward to study the latest apostolic teachings on this topic, 
we dedicated one of our combined Fifth Sunday lessons to discuss how we could better follow the guidelines. That lesson turned out to be a deeply useful, poignant, and edifying experience. Lesson 2. Choose Faith Over Fear The unfamiliar can be scary. As a new bishop, it was daunting to reach out to a member of my ward who identified as gay and needed spiritual help. It was challenging to lead discussions about this topic and to counsel parents of youth who were struggling with their identity. A wave of anxious thoughts would come to mind. What if I say the wrong thing? What if I sound too conservative or too extreme? Do I even know enough to be helpful? One day, while contemplating my fears, my mind was drawn to study scriptures that mentioned fear. I felt peace when I read, Perfect love casteth out all fear, Moroni 8, 16, and that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, 1 John 4, verse 18. Those truths helped me to remember that if I acted out of sincere love, I could be confident in receiving guidance and help from the Lord. I can testify that when I was willing and humble enough to follow the promptings of the Holy Ghost, even when I felt inadequate in unfamiliar situations, I experienced the promise that God will make weak things become strong. Ether 12.27 Lesson 3 Utilize simple practices for leaders. By seeking advice from faithful resources regarding this topic, I discovered a few practical tips that have had a positive influence on my ability as a bishop to build a community of inclusion. As you rely on the Spirit, you may want to adapt some of the following suggestions to meet the needs of your ward's circumstances. Reach out to individuals who are familiar with LGBT issues to help you learn and understand their perspectives. This could include your stake president, your ward council, other bishops in your area, trusted friends, and members of your ward who identify as LGBT and their families. The church's same-sex attraction webpage, churchofjesuschrist.org slash topics slash gay, can also provide guidance. There is so much help around us, and none of us are alone in fulfilling our callings. Humbly share your testimony, and likewise don't be afraid to ask about things you do not fully understand. We offer support even by being willing to listen and learn. Do not be afraid to apologize if you have said or done something that is hurtful, even if it was unintentional. Reciprocal openness builds trust. If a friend or ward member makes unhelpful or hurtful comments about LGBT individuals, consider the best way to respond. Most of the time these comments come from inexperience and are not intended to be disrespectful. Giving private guidance can be helpful. Be careful that your language toward all of God's children is harmonious with your covenants and calling, no matter whom you're speaking with. When ward members share their experiences, it's deeply personal. Don't share their private information without their permission. Remember that what someone feels and how they choose to respond to those feelings are not the same thing.
a Gospel Topics essay explains, The Church distinguishes between same-sex attraction and homosexual behavior. People who experience same-sex attraction or identify as gay, lesbian, or bisexual can make and keep covenants with God and fully and worthily participate in the Church. Identifying as gay, lesbian, or bisexual or experiencing same-sex attraction is not a sin and does not prohibit one from participating in the Church, holding callings, or attending the temple. Be careful not to limit members' opportunities to contribute if they identify as gay or transgender. Your ward members all have unique experiences and points of view that can be beneficial to your ward. As Elder Christofferson also taught, someone who is following the standards, the teachings of the gospel of Christ, though they may be dealing with same-sex attraction, really there is no reason they cannot be fully participative, that they can't be a full-fledged member of the church and hold callings and speak and enter the temple and serve there, and all the other opportunities and blessings that can come from church membership will be available to them. Continuing to Learn and Love In the time since I was called as a bishop, I have come to strongly believe that each of our brothers and sisters has a beautiful and unique contribution to make to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to our communities, and to our individual lives. And regardless of our role in the ward, it's a blessed responsibility and privilege to build a more unified community by seeking to better love, understand, and support each of our spiritual brothers and sisters. As President Gene B. Bingham, Relief Society General President, testified, If you keep your mind open and your heart open, you find out lots of wonderful things about people that you might not have ever expected. When you've experienced, when you've seen, when you've opened your heart to other people, you see that we all belong. Read by Scott Christopher Early Women of the Restoration A Glorious Doctrine by Spencer W. McBride, Church History Department. May we all feel the excitement that Villette Kimball felt when she learned she could be baptized for her ancestors. In October 1840, 34-year-old Villette Kimball wrote a letter to her husband, Elder Heber C. Kimball, of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. President Joseph Smith has opened a new and glorious subject which has caused quite a revival in the church, Villette wrote to Heber, who was serving his second mission to Great Britain. The subject of Joseph Smith's teaching on this occasion was baptism for those who hadn't had the opportunity in their lifetimes. Joseph has received a more full explanation of it by revelation, she reported. It is the privilege of this church to be baptized for all their kinsfolk that have died before this gospel came forth. Villette celebrated the revelation that in doing these proxy baptisms for deceased family members, we act as agents for them and give them the privilege of coming forth in the first resurrection. The Kimballs had moved from New York to be with the saints in Kirtland, Ohio, and then moved to far west Missouri. Just a year later, in 1839, they had to flee Missouri with thousands of other Latter-day Saints to escape persecution at the hands of violent mobs. They made their home in Nauvoo, hundreds of miles from where their journey had started. 
Although their arrival in Nauvoo had been under trying circumstances, Villette's October 1840 letter to her husband was teeming with excitement. I want to be baptized for my mother, she exclaimed. I calculated to wait until you come home, but the last time Joseph spoke upon the subject, he advised everyone to be up and a-doing and liberate their friends from bondage as quick as possible. Thus, you see, there is a chance for all. Is not this a glorious doctrine? Villette was one of the first women to be baptized for the dead in Nauvoo. Quotations come from Villette Kimball's letter to Heber C. Kimball, October 11, 1840, Church History Library, Salt Lake City, spelling and punctuation modernized. Go to the digital version of the October 2021 Liahona in the Gospel Library app or at liahona.churchofjesuschrist.org to read more about how Villette Kimball's letter to her husband gives insight into church history. Read by Kristen Hawkins Doctrine and Covenants, Section 110 Why did Moses, Elias, and Elijah appear in the Kirtland Temple? Elder Quentin L. Cook of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles said, As we prepare to meet God, we can know what our divinely appointed responsibilities are by reviewing the sacred keys restored in the Kirtland Temple. What are priesthood keys? Priesthood keys are the authority God has given priesthood leaders to direct and govern the use of His priesthood on earth. President Allen H. Oaks, first counselor in the First Presidency, taught, All keys of the priesthood are held by the Lord Jesus Christ, whose priesthood it is. He is the one who determines what keys are delegated to mortals and how those keys will be used. The President of the Church has authority from the Lord to exercise all the priesthood keys that are needed for the Church to function. Priesthood Keys and Authority On April 3, 1836, the Lord sent Old Testament priesthood holders Moses, Elias, and Elijah to Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery to commit to them the following. Moses led the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt. The Keys of the Gathering of Israel The Gathering of Israel from the Four Parts of the Earth Doctrine and Covenants, section 110, verse 11. When we speak of the gathering, we are simply saying this fundamental truth. Every one of our Heavenly Father's children, on both sides of the veil, deserves to hear the message of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. President Russell M. Nelson Elias apparently lived in the days of Abraham. The Dispensation of the Gospel of Abraham In us and our seed, all generations after us, should be blessed. Doctrine and Covenants, section 110, verse 12. With this renewal of the Abrahamic covenant, we have received, as did they of old, the holy priesthood and the everlasting gospel. We have the right to receive the fullness of the gospel, enjoy the blessings of the priesthood, and qualify for God's greatest blessing, that of eternal life. President Russell M. Nelson Elijah was a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel about 900 B.C. The keys of the sealing power turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. Doctrine and Covenants, section 110, verse 15. 
sealing keys, restored by the Old Testament prophet Elijah, enable ordinances to take place in holy temples. Ordinances performed in these temples enable individuals and families to return to the presence of our Heavenly Parents. Elder Gary E. Stevenson of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles Discussion What blessings have you received because of the priesthood? What can you do to participate in this divinely appointed work? Read by Wes Nelson Doctrine and Covenants, Section 121 How do we draw upon the powers of heaven? In Doctrine and Covenants, Section 121, Verse 36, we learn that the powers of heaven cannot be controlled nor handled only upon the principles of righteousness. Verses 40 and 41 provide some examples of righteous principles. Learning to live by these principles will help us draw the powers of heaven into all aspects of our lives. Drawing the Savior's Power into Our Lives When the Savior knows you truly want to reach up to Him, when He can feel that the greatest desire of your heart is to draw His power into your life, you will be led by the Holy Ghost to know exactly what you should do. President Russell M. Nelson, President of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints Drawing the Power of Jesus Christ into Our Lives Ensign or Leahona, May 2017, page 42 What does it mean to be long-suffering? One definition of long-suffering is having the ability to endure in giving love even when we may feel alone, hurt, or frustrated. Do you know of others who are examples of being long-suffering? How can you follow their example? How can I show meekness? Part of being meek is recognizing the successes of others. Is there someone in your life you can sincerely congratulate or praise? Am I showing love sincerely? Divine love is genuine. How can you develop more genuine love for the people around you? Chapter 6 of Preach My Gospel teaches how to develop Christ-like qualities and lists several scriptures you can study about love. End of the article, Doctrine and Covenants, Section 121, How Do We Draw Upon the Powers of Heaven? Read by David Shaw. What does it mean to have integrity? Doctrine and Covenants, Section 124. In Doctrine and Covenants, Section 124, Verse 15, The Lord said He loved Hiram Smith because of the integrity of his heart. Consider how you can show integrity in these areas in your life. Professional integrity. This includes doing your best at your job or schoolwork and not taking credit for others' work. President Russell M. Nelson asks, If employed to do a job, are you totally true to your employer, or do you let yourself be less than loyal? Interpersonal Integrity This includes answering for your mistakes and doing what you've promised others you would do. Integrity safeguards family love, and love makes family life rich and zestful, now and forever. Do you keep your promises to others? Spiritual Integrity This includes staying true to your past spiritual experiences 
and not denying them. Our quest for light will be enhanced by our willingness to recognize when it shines in our lives. What spiritual experiences have you had that you can't deny? You deserve integrity. President Nelson encourages us, Your precious identity deserves your precious integrity. Guard it as the priceless prize that it is. End of What Does It Mean to Have Integrity? Read by Dwayne Case Doctrine and Covenants Sections 109 and 110 The Kirtland Temple, A Place of Holiness by Elder Jeremy R. Jaggi of the Seventy. What I learned about the temple as a young missionary has blessed me ever since. Many missionaries open their mission call surrounded by family and friends. I opened mine all alone in a potato field. I was a student at Ricks College, which later became BYU-Idaho. We didn't have social media or the internet back then, and I was away from my family. So I went into the field, offered a prayer, and opened the letter. You are called to labor in the Ohio-Cleveland mission, it said. I thought it was especially sweet that Kirtland, Ohio, was part of the mission, though I didn't understand its significance at that time. Welcome to Ohio. My first assignment was the Ashtabula Ward, part of the Kirtland Stake. On our way to my first area, my companion, Elder Sean Patrick Murphy, and I stopped at the Newell K. Whitney store in Kirtland. Today, there's a large visitor center there, but at the time, it was a small place. I remember walking up the stairs to the room above the store where Joseph Smith held the School of the Prophets. I knew little of the history of the place, but I still felt something distinct as we entered that plain room with its simple wooden benches. The director of the center was a former mission president, President Brewer. As he spoke about this place where the brethren studied and learned together, I felt the spirit deeply. I began to see the role Kirtland played as a hinge point in the history of the church. A Place of Preparation in the early 1830s, Independence, Missouri was identified as the site of the New Jerusalem. The saints had begun to settle there, but they were then forced out because of differences with other Missouri residents and opposition to the saints' beliefs. In 1834, Joseph organized a group of about 230 men, women, and children, later known as Zion's Camp. They were to travel 900 miles, about 1,450 kilometers, from Ohio to Missouri, to help the saints regain land they had legally purchased. The journey was not successful in getting the land back, but it created a setting that helped prepare many future leaders of the church, including church presidents Brigham Young and Wilford Woodruff. It wasn't just the preparation of leaders that was important. The sanctifying effect of Zion's camp prepared a people who were willing to sacrifice to build a temple. In Kirtland, the prophet received revelation after revelation about the organization of the church, all in preparation for what would be the crowning achievement, the building of the temple. And sacrifice literally brought forth the blessings of heaven. The saints were so poor they could hardly afford the necessities of life. Yet they consecrated their time, talents, and possessions, the very covenant we make in the temple today, to build the house of the Lord. The Spirit of the Temple 
Today, the Kirtland Temple is owned and maintained by another church, the Community of Christ. When a guide from that church took us through the building, I felt the Spirit as he quoted from journals of those who witnessed marvelous events at the temple's dedication. These events included seeing angels and the temple seeming to be ablaze with light. The Spirit confirmed to me that this had indeed been a house of God. I served in the Ashtabula ward for seven months. Almost every preparation day, we took those we were teaching to visit the Newell K. Whitney store and talk about the Kirtland Temple. Many times we recited the inspiring account of Christ's appearance at the temple. His eyes were as a flame of fire. The hair of his head was white like the pure snow. His countenance shone above the brightness of the sun, and his voice was as the sound of the rushing of great waters, even the voice of Jehovah saying, I am the first and the last. I am he who liveth. I am he who was slain. I am your advocate with the Father. From Doctrine and Covenants, section 110, verses 3 and 4. In addition to the Savior, others also visited the temple, Moses, Elias, and Elijah. They committed to Joseph keys for the gathering of Israel, the dispensation of the gospel of Abraham, and temple and family history work. See section 110, verses 10 through 16. Sacrifice and Blessings because these visitations are so significant, I think we sometimes overlook the significance of other things that also occurred. In the dedicatory prayer, Joseph Smith addressed the Lord God of Israel, who keepest covenant and showest mercy, and pleaded with the Lord to accept the dedication of this house unto thee, the work of our hands, which we have built unto thy name. Section 109, verse 1 and 78. By appearing in answer to that prayer, Jesus Christ, as the mouthpiece of God the Father, showed that he accepted his house, the ordinances that would be performed there, and the covenants that would be made there. That acceptance has been granted to every temple that has been dedicated since then, as well as to the covenants made and ordinances performed in those temples. In the dedicatory prayer, Joseph also specifically asked the Lord to bless those who served in presidencies, as well as their families. Today, those blessings are extended to Relief Society presidents, quorum presidents, young women presidents, stake presidents, mission presidents, and so on. See section 109, verse 71. Then Joseph asked the Lord to, Remember all thy church, O Lord, with all their families that thy church may come forth out of the wilderness of darkness and shine forth. Section 109, verses 72 and 73. Joseph sought specific blessings for presidencies and their families, for members and their families, and for the church as a whole. We regularly witness the fulfillment of those blessings as the church shines forth as a light in the darkness. Three Basic Truths the dedication of the Kirtland Temple exemplifies for me three basic truths. One, we are blessed when we prepare for the temple. The saints had to prepare for the Kirtland Temple to be built. They had to sacrifice, purify themselves, and develop willing hearts. We need to do the same to become more ready to receive blessings the Lord has for us. Two, we can receive revelation 
in the house of the Lord. The visions given to Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery in the Kirtland Temple provided guidance, direction, and understanding. On a personal level, we can also find inspiration when we go to the temple seeking answers. 3. We can find refuge in the temple. In a time of persecution and poverty, the saints in Kirtland found that the house of the Lord was a sanctuary from the worries surrounding them. The same is true for us today. Temple Blessings Over the years, I have found that the things I learned about the temple as a young missionary in Ohio have blessed my family and me. For example, in the temple a year after we were married, my wife Amy and I received an impression that it was time to have a child. We were students, and because of tight finances, I was tempted to cast the prompting aside. But the Lord was preparing us. We had three miscarriages over the next two years, and I wondered, why the prompting to have children if we're not able to have them? Then we moved to California, worked with a fertility specialist, and finally had our first child, Mackenzie. By following the inspiration we received in the temple, we began a process that took three years. If we had not followed the prompting when we did, it would probably have been at least another three years before we had our first child. We count that experience as a blessing of preparation and revelation. We had a second child, Emma, but then we had another miscarriage and the loss of our son, Stuart. In subsequent months and years, as we sought peace, we learned that most of the symbols in the temple point us to the Savior and the healing balm only His atonement can give. I am grateful for the blessings of the temple. I testify to you that it is a place of preparation, revelation, and peace. Read by Scott Christopher Aging Faithfully Do You Know How Grateful I Am? By Sherry Hyder Wright one night, while caring for an elderly sister, I learned a lifelong lesson about giving thanks. Dorothy knew the end was coming. Every day she lost something more, not tangible things, but abilities. The ability to shower herself, the ability to fix her own meals, the ability to walk to the bathroom without falling, the ability to unlock the back door and pick up the paper the ability to write a note to a loved one. Something she hadn't lost yet, though, her spunk, her wit, her gratitude. Because of that, being with Dorothy brought joy. Her home seemed to welcome guests from both sides of the veil. One night, I was the Ward Relief Society guest staying with her, supposedly helping her. A spring storm arose, and the power went off about 11 p.m., we discovered the power was out when I tried to turn the lights on so I could help her to the bathroom. I flipped the switch, but nothing happened. Dorothy was prepared, however. She pulled a tiny flashlight from a pocket on her walker, and somehow with that meager light, we managed to stumble down the hall. After the slow walk back to her chair, she smiled and said, Do you know how grateful I am? The same night, about 12.30 a.m., something woke me. I heard the prompting, Dorothy needs her portable oxygen. 
I noticed that the bubbling of Dorothy's regular oxygen machine had stopped. The power was still off. I hurried to get her portable oxygen. I put it on her, trying not to wake her. As I placed the tubes around her face, she looked up and again said, Do you know how grateful I am? Fortunately, when I texted our Relief Society president at 1 a.m., she answered, The power isn't off at my house. She said, I'll call the power company. Her call must have done the trick because at 1.30 a.m., trucks arrived and men began restoring electricity to Dorothy's home. When she awoke at 2.30 a.m. to make another slow, flashlight-guided walk to the bathroom, she looked through the kitchen windows. She saw all the workers and said, I hope they know how grateful I am. The workers left at 5.30 that morning, just as the battery ran out on her portable oxygen. But the lights were back on. After another slow trip to the bathroom, we saw that her regular oxygen machine was bubbling once again. I helped her safely settle back into her chair. Before she closed her eyes, she told me about three other visitors she had seen during the night family members who had come to bring her comfort and peace. Then she whispered once again, Do you know how grateful I am? I left Dorothy's home at 8 a.m. on Saturday morning when another sister from our ward arrived to be with her. As I sat in my car, tears started to form. I felt such love for Dorothy such thankfulness for the tender moments I had spent with her. I found myself offering a prayer of thanks as her words came tumbling from my heart. Heavenly Father, do you know how grateful I am? Even though Dorothy was advanced in age and in need of assistance, her simple example of gratitude blessed me that night, and it continues to bless me Though she has passed on, I often find myself thinking, do people know how grateful I am? And whenever I do, I try to express that gratitude. The author lives in Utah, USA. Learn more. Read about taking care of yourself while giving care to others in the April 2021 Liahona. One article in print, while caring for others, take care of yourself, and another online, caregiver, take care of yourself too. Read by Jane Wise. For Parents Temples, the name of the church, and including others. Dear parents, in this issue, you can learn about using the correct name of the church, the importance of temples, and including others. You can use these articles and the ideas below to open conversations with your family about things we can do to progress along the covenant path. Gospel Discussions Thus Shall My Church Be Called President Henry B. Eyring talks about why we use the full name of the church and what blessings we receive by doing so. See page 6. You could read this article as a family and discuss how using the full name of the church is a way to share our testimony. The Temple 
use the articles on pages 10 through 17 and the stories in the Friend magazine to help your family learn about the temple. Consider asking your children what the temple means to them. Use church resources to help you answer any questions they have about the temple. Inclusion If you have older children who experience same-sex attraction or have friends who do, read the article on page 20 together. Then discuss how you can help your children or their friends feel more included and how you can share God's love for them. Come Follow Me Insights. See pages 26 through 29. Come Follow Me Family Fun. The Weight of Affliction. From Doctrine and Covenants section 122 verses 5 through 9. 1. Gather some heavy items, such as rocks or large books. 2. Have everyone sit in a circle. 3. Show a picture of Joseph Smith in Liberty Jail. 4. Read Doctrine and Covenants section 122, verses 5 through 7. 5. For each affliction mentioned in these verses, place a rock in the middle of the circle. 6. Have each family member add one more rock to the pile to represent a trial they have gone through. 7. Read Doctrine and Covenants, section 122, verses 8 and 9. 8. Who has felt the pain of all of these trials? Imagine how it would feel to carry them all. Discussion In what ways does the Lord understand us, help us, and turn our trials into experiences that shall be for our good? From verse 7 of section 122. For ideas, see Jeffrey R. Holland, Lessons from Liberty Jail, from Ensign Magazine, September 2009. From For the Strength of Youth Magazine. Using the Missionary Referral Tool. Read this article as a family and discuss how each person can use this tool to make missionary work easier. Find out what information they would need to refer someone to the missionaries. You can help them do that or if they have their own devices, show them how to use the tool for themselves. Preparing for your endowment If you have children who are preparing to receive their endowment, read this article with them. Discuss any questions they have. Blessings of using the correct name of the church Discuss with your children what the correct name of the church is and why we use it. Read this article by Elder Ulysses Suarez and use the ideas to guide your discussion and to help your children recognize the blessings of using the correct name of the church. Growing Strong in Ireland Do you live where there aren't very many members? Read Evan's story as a family about how he stands for his beliefs as one of the only church members in his school. Ask your children how they can make good choices and stand for truth even when they have to stand alone. From the Friend magazine. All about temples. Learn about Elena's first temple trip, Ajan's excitement to get a temple recommend, and Margaret's sacrifice to attend the temple in New Zealand. Use the My Story journal page to help your children figure out how many years, months, and days they have until they can get their temple recommend. Loving and accepting others. Angie doesn't like the new boy in her class until she learns more about him. 
Use this story to teach your children about loving others instead of judging them. Come follow me for little ones. Find weekly scripture-based activities and other helpful resources for teaching younger children in the For Little Friends section. Apostles Around the World Learn about Elder Dale G. Renlund's visit to church members in the Caribbean. Read by Scott Christopher Latter-day Saint Voices Would I Ever Belong? by Jill Bittner, Texas, USA As I sang different words from everyone else, I felt like an outsider. In January 2009, my husband and I flew to Germany. He had accepted a job there, and we spent a week in Berlin to prepare to move our family. Instantly, I felt overwhelmed by the differences between Germany and the United States. That night, I didn't dare leave our hotel. But the next morning, Sunday, I gathered my courage to attend sacrament meeting. When we entered the chapel, a kind man recognized us as Americans and gave us an English hymn book. As I sat on the back row and sang different words from everyone else, I felt like an outsider. The ward offered English translation and gave us headphones. Halfway through the meeting, I wanted to tear mine off and return to my American ward. But when I sang the second verse of How Firm a Foundation, the Holy Ghost took hold of my heart. At home or abroad, on the land or the sea, as thy days may demand, so thy succor shall be. The hymn felt like a message from the Lord. Tears poured down my cheeks as I hurried to the foyer, where a soft-eyed man gave me his trusty pocket packet of tissue. Nobody in the ward was ever without one. Fast forward three and a half years. In the same chapel on a Sunday morning in June, the organist began playing a hymn. I opened my German hymn book and started to sing. That's when the Holy Ghost enveloped me again. I was again singing How Firm a Foundation, but everything was different. I looked around. Instead of seeing strangers, I saw friends. Behind me sat our former stake president, who had quickly learned our names. On the front row, my deacon's son rubbed shoulders with the young men who had visited him in the hospital when he was diagnosed with diabetes. Near them sat the ward young women leader, who had taught my daughter to make delicious potato pancakes. Throughout the chapel sat young people I had taught and loved in my English-speaking institute class, my faithful visiting teachers, and others who cheerfully joined the ward ballroom dance classes the bishop had asked me to teach. Tears blurred my vision, but this time I didn't run from the chapel. Instead, I dug into my purse for my own trusty pocket packet of tissue. Nobody in the ward was ever without one. Read by Rena Nelson How I Became a Temple-Loving Person by Harmony Sievert, Hawaii, USA I had committed to attend the temple every Friday, but several inches of snow one morning tested that commitment. I was attending Brigham Young University in 1994 when President Howard W. Hunter counseled members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to become a temple-attending and a temple-loving people. He said, 
let us hasten to the temple as frequently as time and means and personal circumstances allow. At the time, I was living in an apartment that was only a 15-minute walk from the Provo, Utah Temple. I didn't have a car, but I knew that I had no excuse for not attending the temple regularly. I decided to make it a priority. I arranged my class schedule so that I would have Fridays open. Then I committed to make that my temple day. Every Friday that semester, rain or shine, I walked to the temple at 7.30 a.m. to be baptized for the dead. If a big paper or project was due, I went to the temple first and then dedicated the rest of my day to schoolwork. One winter morning, I awoke to several inches of snow. A native of Central California, I was not accustomed to snow and was dreading the uphill walk to the temple. But instead of rationalizing and staying home, I put on warm boots and carried my church shoes and started my walk to the temple. When I arrived, I was greeted by a familiar temple worker who was pleased to see that I had made the trek, despite the gloomy weather. Once inside, I felt a sense of triumph mixed with gratitude. I realized, just as the prophet had asked, that I had become a temple attending and a temple loving person. In the years since then, my time, means, and circumstances, as well as my proximity to a temple, have changed several times. But with each change, I've arranged my schedule so that I can continue to make temple attendance a priority in my life. As I have done this, the blessings of the temple have come into my life, just as President Hunter promised. Read by Jane Wise. Angels in the Temple by Justin Tate, Maryland, USA. I worried that my nervous condition might distract others in the temple, until I heard a couple's comforting words. The temple is the most still and quiet place on earth, right? Well, maybe not for someone like me with Tourette's syndrome. This neurological condition causes me to make constant movements and noises against my will. My Tourette's can make people uncomfortable when I'm near them in a quiet place. One day during an endowment session in the Washington, D.C. temple, I worried that I might bother or distract others. It takes all of my focus to control my tics, which prevents me from concentrating on anything else. So as I tried to concentrate on the endowment, it was impossible for me to completely control my tics, though I did my best. I struggled more than usual during the session. Afterward, as I was leaving the celestial room, I heard a comforting voice behind me say, Please come back. Please keep coming to the temple. The voice came from a couple who had seen me struggling. They wanted to assure me that I was always welcome in the temple, no matter what noises or movements I made. Their words made me feel that I was just as welcome and needed there as anyone else. As they hugged me, the Holy Ghost blessed me with peace and joy. God had sent me a tender mercy in the form of those two angels who comforted me and showed me that He cares. Because of them, I felt the peaceful, still, quiet feeling I had hoped to feel in the temple that day. Not all angels are from the other side of the veil, Elder Geoffrey R. Holland of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles has said. Some of them 
we walk with and talk with, here, now, every day. We all can become angels to those around us as we convey love and concern for God's children. Read by Wes Nelson The Great Accompanist by Brigitte Wright, Utah, USA In the middle of my complaining, a simple but powerful thought entered my mind and increased my gratitude. There's something thrilling about sitting on a bench, hands over the piano's ivory keys, waiting for your cue from the conductor. Accompanying is one of my favorite hobbies, but it is not one that is noticed. Sometimes my ego gets in the way, and I want someone to acknowledge my efforts. We accompanists back up performers, maintain the tempo, and create the harmonizing and feeling of the music. At times we even cover the mistakes of performers. We put in long hours before and after rehearsals. Sometimes we are the last to receive the music, but first to be expected to learn it. During a difficult time, I was struggling with these feelings. I felt that no one appreciated my work. One night, I knelt beside my bed to tell Heavenly Father. I began my prayer by listing everything I was doing and not receiving thanks for. I didn't need much, but I needed something. I told him that I had felt forgotten. During my complaining, the Spirit whispered a thought to my mind that changed my whole perspective. I stopped praying as I suddenly saw my situation in a different light. I began going through my list of complaints, thinking of them in terms of Heavenly Father as the accompanist. I was surprised and humbled as I thought about how we may not realize how much He helps us, adds to our life, covers for our mistakes, and neither slumbers nor sleeps for our sakes. See Psalm 121, verse 4. Do we invite Him last, but expect Him first? After that experience, I began to thank Him for His superb accompaniment in my life. Everything I am is because of Him and His Son. What a different perspective! He didn't chastise me for my feelings or my complaining. Instead, he chose to teach me. He taught me a different way to see him and others. Now, when I fall into this self-pity trap, I remember my great accompanist, the one I'm rehearsing with, and the one I need to thank. Heavenly Father taught me to appreciate him in a different way than I ever had, to see those around me with more appreciation, to have more of a grateful heart, and to remember his son's words. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. John chapter 10, verse 10. Read by Kristen Hawkins. Portraits of Faith I Had Faith That God Would Guide His Prophet By Chioma C. Duru, Osun, Nigeria it dawned on me that because we had been saying Mormons and LDS, people did not recognize the correct name of the church. While my companion and I visited a recently baptized member, a pastor friend of hers came by. Oh, LDS missionaries, he said. We were happy he knew us and we could see that he was interested. As we welcomed him, I felt the need to properly introduce ourselves. We are missionaries from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we told him. 
Yes, he replied. Mormons or LDS. That didn't sound good to my ears. I told him that people call us Mormons because of the Book of Mormon. No, he said. Even your members call themselves by that name. We tried our best to help him understand the church's true name, and we bore testimony of the truthfulness of the church. We also invited our recent convert to bear her testimony. This incident reminded me of the importance of using the church's true name. I had been ignorantly omitting the Savior's name when I shortened the name of his church. Now I was beginning to understand better some scriptures I had read many times. Verses in 3 Nephi helped me understand the strong necessity of not changing the name of the Lord's church if I truly want to take upon me his name. Have you not read the scriptures which say you must take upon you the name of Christ, which is my name? For by this name shall ye be called at the last day. Therefore, whatsoever ye shall do, ye shall do it in my name. Therefore ye shall call the church in my name, and ye shall call upon the Father in my name, that he will bless this church for my sake. 3 Nephi chapter 27, verses 5 and 7. Later, while trying to get a transport to the chapel, I used the full name of the church to direct the driver to where we were going. I was careful not to omit Jesus Christ. I was surprised when the driver told us he didn't know the place. When my companion asked the man if he had heard of the LDS church, he said, yes. Because we had been saying Mormons and LDS all along, people did not recognize the full name of the church. I resolved to pray that we members of the church would realize our mistake. While thinking about this, I remembered the prophet. I understood that only the prophet can speak for the Lord to the whole world. So if a change was going to happen, it would need to come from him. But I thought to myself, how is this even possible? Even the church's website is abbreviated LDS.org. How will that be changed? In our prayers, we earnestly pleaded with Heavenly Father to inspire His servant, the prophet, to guide us in this important matter. I had faith that God truly does reveal His will to His prophet. I was scheduled to be released from the Nigeria Benin City Mission in September 2018, but my release date was changed to October, the same October that President Russell M. Nelson gave an important message to the worldwide church. For much of the world, the Lord's Church is presently disguised as the Mormon Church, but we as members of the Lord's Church know who stands at its head, Jesus Christ himself. The rest of the world may or may not follow our lead in calling us by the correct name, but it is disingenuous for us to be frustrated if most of the world calls the Church and its members by their wrong names if we do the same. You can't imagine how surprised and happy I was. President Nelson's message was so clear and I felt that our prayers had been answered. I was grateful beyond words. This experience added to my testimony that prayers are answered and that Heavenly Father does inspire His prophets, that this is the Lord's church and that He knows what to do in His church. Even the church's website, which I thought wasn't possible to change, was updated to churchofjesuschrist.org. I know that President Nelson is called of God. I also know that the prophet Joseph Smith did not name the church that was restored through him. Neither did Mormon. It was the Savior himself who said, For thus shall my church be called in the last days, even the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Doctrine and Covenants, section 115, verse 4. End of the article. I had faith that God would guide his prophet. 
Read by Kara McClellan. Ministering Principles Nine Ways to Make a Powerful Difference Creating a Feeling of Belonging at Church We all play a part in making church a welcoming place. Welcoming others, including them, and helping them know they belong are all important ways to support one another on the covenant path so the Savior can heal us. Becoming unified is also an important part of building Zion. Whether you are new to the church, just moved into a new ward, or have been in a ward for a while, here are nine ways you can make church a welcoming place where everyone belongs. If you're new to the ward, number one, attend meetings and activities. As always, we make friends by being with other people and getting to know them. Arrive to church meetings and activities a few minutes early or stay afterward to meet new people. You can also sign up to serve when help is needed. These are easy ways to make connections that can turn into friendships. Number two, look for strengths. Point out publicly and privately the strengths you see in your new ward, leaders, and community. Rather than thinking only about the wonderful place you left behind, discover what's wonderful about your new ward and talk about whom you met today. Ask others for information and ideas about what to do, where to shop, and how to find a good dentist or places to eat. Consider going together to some of the places you discuss. Number three, befriend new people. Don't assume the people sitting next to you in Sunday school have been there for years. Assume they are new too, and that they are waiting for you to help the ward feel welcoming to them. Introduce yourself and be curious about them, no matter how long they've been there, and do that again the next week and the next. Number four, be patient. Be patient with yourself and with others while you try to build friendships. If someone you invite for dinner isn't interested, ask someone else. If another month goes by without you receiving a calling, talk with the ward leaders again about how you can serve. If you've been in the ward for a while, number one, pray about where to sit. You may not always feel like sitting by someone you don't know, but when you arrive for a church meeting, be willing to pause at the door and pray for guidance about whom to sit next to. Then act on the promptings to get to know others a little better. Number two, ask how you can minister to others. Let ward leaders know you're willing to get to know someone new and that you're willing to help when others need a friend. Serving others and learning to care is one of the best ways to create friendships. Pray to know what you can do to help others feel welcomed and loved, no matter how long they've been in the ward. Number three, practice sharing love. Creating a community of belonging for others is an expression of charity, the pure love of Christ that we're trying to develop but we aren't all equally gifted with the skills or predispositions to pull it off. If reaching out to others doesn't come naturally to you, look for ways to make it less intimidating to develop friendships with others, such as by inviting a third friend to join with you in conversations or outings, or by inviting them to activities you're already going to. If you're a ward leader, number one, greet at the door. Stand near the chapel doors or have other ward members do it, to be on the lookout for people who have recently joined or moved in. Get to know them and ask for their contact information. You could even ask them to take a photo you can share with other ward leaders. 
If your ward often has a lot of new move-ins, consider creating brightly colored bags with ward information and a treat to give to anyone new. Invite all ward members to watch out for those brightly colored bags and make an extra effort to welcome anyone holding them. Number two, make it a ward effort. Consider making friendliness and inclusion a ward goal. Talk together in quorum and class meetings about how to help others feel befriended. Include an occasional reminder in ward communications or on bulletin boards. You can submit your own article, ideas, or feedback at liahona.churchofjesuschrist.org. We can't wait to hear from you. End of Nine Ways to Make a Powerful Difference Creating a Feeling of Belonging at Church Read by Corey McClellan Liahona, Digital Only Teach Your Children to Love the Temple by Nancy Dance and Dana Wright, former members of the Primary General Advisory Council. It is never too early to help your children prepare for the temple. In his first public address as the President of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, President Russell M. Nelson addressed us from the Salt Lake Temple Annex with all the apostles accompanying him. This location was significant, a symbol to begin with the end in mind, a focus on the covenant path and God's work to exalt families. Now, to each member of the church, he said, keep on the covenant path, your commitment to follow the Savior by making covenants with Him and then keeping those covenants will open the door to every spiritual blessing and privilege available to men, women, and children everywhere. He went on to say, The ordinances of the temple and the covenants you make there are key to strengthening your life, your marriage and family, and your ability to resist the attacks of the adversary. Through temples, the entire family can be united both young and old, both the living and the dead. The power of the temple can bless all. Helping our children prepare for the temple can be a natural and normal part of our lives. As the temple and its blessings are important to us, our actions and our words will teach our children to love the temple as well. When children understand the importance of making covenants with God, their desire to prepare for those covenants is likely to increase. Below are some simple ideas to help our children learn to love the temple as they prepare to make and keep covenants there. For three to seven-year-olds, display a picture of the temple in your home. Talk together about the temple. Where possible, visit the temple grounds, touch the temple, or view temple photos online. Draw or build a model of your temple with readily available materials such as stone and mud, clay, play-doh, or blocks. Later, do it again for a different temple. Engage in family activities provided on familysearch.org forward slash discovery. Act out meaningful family stories or make traditional family recipes. Explain the importance of knowing about our ancestors. For 8 to 11-year-olds, as a family, regularly read and discuss together the Temple Recommend interview questions. Encourage your children to be worthy of a recommend regardless of when they will be able to attend. Teach about the power, protection, and importance of keeping covenants and promises. Review together information and videos at temples.churchofjesuschrist.org, like the virtual tour of the Rome, Italy Temple. Share personal temple experiences or stories from family members, including extended family. 
As your child turns 10 or 11, create a simple calendar to count down the days, weeks, or months until they can enter the temple. Discuss together the scripture story of the Savior in the temple at age 12. See Luke chapter 2, verses 42 through 51. Create a plan to prepare for your child's first visit to the temple. Where possible, make it a family event. To help your child feel more comfortable, include talking about the practical aspects of temple baptisms and confirmations, such as what to wear to and in the temple, where they will enter the baptistry, who will help them, how baptisms and confirmations are performed, and the order of what will happen inside. Learn to do family history work and prepare family names to take to the temple. The Blessings of Temple and Family History Work Many prophets and apostles have spoken of the importance of temple and family history work and of the blessings it can bring as we participate in this work, including strengthening our children and families. For instance, Elder Dale G. Renland of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles spoke of increased understanding of the Savior and His Atonement, influence of the Holy Ghost for us to feel strength and direction, faith, joy, family blessings, love and appreciation, power to discern, and protection from the adversary. We can help our children receive these blessings as we invite them to participate in temple and family history work with us. Temple and family history work are part of the same work of salvation and exaltation, and family history work can play a major role in temple preparation. President Nelson said, The house of the Lord is a house of learning. There the Lord teaches in His own way. There each ordinance teaches about the Savior. There we learn how to part the veil and communicate more clearly with heaven. How eager each of us should be to seek refuge there. Start today. For all ages, making the temple and family history a normal and natural part of our lives will bring blessings. Talk about the temple as you travel together. Incorporate it into Come Follow Me study and other gospel discussions with your family. Teach your children that they can become more like the Savior as they prepare for and enter His temple. Each of these things will help your children learn to love and prepare to enter the house of the Lord. Sister Joy D. Jones, former Primary General President, said, I pray every day that our youth and their families will feel the Savior's love and recognize and follow His Spirit. I know He will lead them to His holy temple and to the blessings of eternity to be found in receiving ordinances and making covenants with our Father in heaven. It is never too early to teach children about the temple. As we take time to share our experiences with our children, talk about the power and protection that come from keeping covenants, teach them the importance of the temple, testify of how we feel inside its walls, and share stories of our ancestors, we can foster in them a love for the temple in their earliest years. As you teach your children to love and prepare for the temple, you will be giving them one of the greatest gifts you can, a knowledge that families are forever and a desire to make and keep covenants that will unite their family for eternity. You can submit your own article, ideas, or feedback at liahona.churchofjesuschrist.org. We can't wait to hear from you. Read by Amanda Saria. Leah Hona, Digital Only 
Praying for a Path to Find My Family Records by Jennifer Mangelson. The author lives in Virginia, USA. My angel friend Shirley helped me find my ancestors' family history books. Many years ago, I felt I needed to talk with my grandfather about our family history. When I visited Grandpa, he was weak and frail. My aunt asked me not to disturb him, so I didn't ask him about our family history. A few months later, I married and moved from Taiwan to the United States. I regretted not having another opportunity to speak with Grandpa before he passed away. I asked other family members about our genealogy, but no one could help me. I was sad and disappointed in myself for waiting so long to learn about Grandpa and for dismissing the promptings from the Spirit to talk with him about his history. One day, as I read my patriarchal blessing, I was impressed by a passage that described how I could help perform a marvelous work for my departed ancestors and others who were living. I thought, how can this happen if I don't know where to start? Later I read in Doctrine and Covenants, section 82, verses 8 and 10. I give unto you a new commandment, that you may understand my will concerning you. I, the Lord, am bound when ye do what I say, but when ye do not what I say, ye have no promise. I felt the Lord encouraging me, and I prayed for a path forward to find my family history records. A few months later, while in Shanghai, China, I met Shirley Wu, who was visiting from Taiwan. We soon became good friends. When she found out I was looking for my family's genealogy, she encouraged me not to give up. She suggested that as a starting place, I should go to the local household records department in Taiwan to request old addresses. Maybe something will come up, she said. I flew to Taiwan, hoping to find the record of my great-grandfather's home, but unfortunately, it no longer existed. I also didn't know his birthplace or the name of my ancestor who first came to Taiwan. Despite this setback, Shirley told me not to worry. Just have faith, she said. God will help us, and your ancestors on the other side of the veil will help too. A few days later, I returned to Shanghai hoping and praying for a miracle. One Sunday afternoon, Shirley sent me a picture of some genealogy records. She asked me if any of the names looked familiar. I was astonished. The names of my ancestors were on the page. When I asked how she found them, she told me the following miraculous story. I had been thinking about your genealogy for several weeks, and I felt that I should go to the address of your great-grandfather's home to check the area. After two hours on the high-speed train, I bust to the city of Chikan, a place I had never been before. I fell asleep, and at the final stop, the driver woke me up. I got off, looked around, and saw I was in a fishing village. I asked a young shop owner across the street for directions. He called a taxi for me and directed the driver to a place where an old man lived. When I arrived and asked that man where I could find the town's genealogy record, he told me to walk a few blocks to a temple by the seashore. At the temple, I saw a group of men having tea and chatting. They said they were just starting an annual meeting of the Lu Shi family genealogy to prepare for a big conference in October. I explained that I was there to find family names for my friend. Usually no one is at this temple, they said. The door is locked except for the two or three hours when we hold the annual meeting. You are very lucky to meet us here. When I told the men I was looking for the name Lu Bei, 
They told me they had been collecting the Liu family genealogy for years and didn't recall that name. One of the men kindly offered his genealogy records for me to take a look. They continued their meeting while I searched the records. After about 10 to 15 minutes, I shouted, I found it! Shocked, they stopped talking and grabbed the book. I showed them the name, and they told me that it came from the family line of Mr. Liu Qiu Shan, who was attending their meeting that day. I purchased a copy of the genealogy book, which contained records going back 26 generations and 2,460 years of ancestors' names on extended family lines. Mr. Liu Qiu Shan later gave me a ride to the train station. He told me if I had come an hour earlier or the next day, I wouldn't have found anyone or anything there. He said, This place is always locked. It must be the ancestor's blessing. It is truly a miracle. Shirley is my angel. She is full of Christ's love and is always eager to help do God's work. She is a great example of ministering to others. Her willingness to serve has brought great blessings and a miracle to hundreds of souls. I testify there are angels among us, but we need to have the desire to do the Lord's errand in order to receive their help. President Gordon B. Hinckley, who lived from 1910 to 2008, said, Believe in yourself. Believe in your capacity to do great and good things. Believe that no mountain is so high that you cannot climb it. Believe that no storm is so great that you cannot weather it. When we seek the Lord's guidance, we will see His hand and the angels in our lives, and we will be able to accomplish what He has asked us to do. You can submit your own article, ideas, or feedback at liahona.churchofjesuschrist.org. We can't wait to hear from you. Read by Amanda Saria Leah Hona, Digital Only How the Savior's Grace Applies to Both Me and My Disabled Family Member By Bruna Goncalves The author lives in Utah, USA. Growing up with a disabled sister has made my life hard sometimes, but I have grown so much closer to my Savior through it all. I have a best friend. Her name is Barbara. We love watching and singing along to movies. We go on walks together and look at the flowers on the temple grounds. We read princess stories together every night. When I'm around Barbara, I can be myself. Not only is she my dearest friend, but she is also my sister. Barbara has cerebral palsy, a condition that affects her physically and mentally. She can't walk, and she needs to be fed through a tube. She loves singing, but struggles to verbally communicate her feelings, wants, and needs. And although Barbara is 29, mentally she acts like a toddler. Taking on a great responsibility. Even though Barbara is four years older than me, I've always felt like the big sister. My family's whole world revolves around her. She is the sun, and we are the circling planets. While the situation sometimes has amazing benefits, like being able to skip lines at amusement parks, other times it means making sacrifices, like not going to certain activities or needing to host events in our home. Each day we review our schedule to make sure someone is always taking care of Barbara and her needs. 
To help my parents take care of her, my older brother and I matured very quickly. We had to learn how to identify when Barbara was having a seizure and what to do, how to feed her through a tube, how to change her diapers, and how to prepare her medications when we were very young. While this early maturity helped me have confidence in myself, it did make socializing a huge struggle. I felt so different from everyone my age. Even if I was invited to hang out with friends and my parents encouraged me to go, I struggled to have fun because I felt guilty that my parents had so much to do at home. Other times, I would have a hard time enjoying myself when Barbara was struggling with her health. Most of the time, I just wanted a friend to sit down with me and listen. Overcoming Loneliness Sometimes I felt like no one understood what I was going through, but a few things helped remedy that loneliness. I decided I'd try to reach out to people who might be feeling similarly. When I did go to activities or church, I tried to include those who were sitting alone or who looked like they were having a bad day. As Elder Garrett W. Gong of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles taught, miracles occur when we care for each other as he would. And I saw miracles come into my life. I felt much more comfortable going to activities and was happier when I offered love to others. Another thing that helped was realizing how much the Savior truly understood me. I realized that He knew exactly what I was going through and would always be with me. I focused more on getting to know Him through the scriptures and prayer. Sometimes when I prayed, I would imagine that He and Heavenly Father were sitting with me and listening. When I have difficult feelings and I feel overwhelmed at how unfair Barbara's situation seems at times, I remember that Christ will help me find peace and reassurance. Elder Dale G. Renland of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles explained this perfectly when he said, In unfair situations, one of our tasks is to trust that all that is unfair about life can be made right through the atonement of Jesus Christ. Relying on the Savior's grace. Having a loved one with a disability can require near superhuman strength. It affects your life physically, mentally, emotionally, financially, and spiritually. For the past 29 years, my parents have awakened nearly every day at 2 in the morning to care for Barbara. We all go to the gym regularly so that we can be strong enough to lift and carry Barbara when necessary. And so many other responsibilities can take a toll on us all. How do we possibly do everything? This can be described in one word, grace. Grace is the enabling power and spiritual healing offered through the mercy and love of Jesus Christ. The grace of God helps us every day. It strengthens us to do good works we could not do on our own. What do I love most about Barbara? With her, I've learned more about the Savior's love for us. You can't help but feel of his love when you're around Barbara. Despite all her difficulties, she's always smiling, singing, and making us laugh. However, there are also days where I feel helpless, when nothing seems to make her feel better. But because of my experiences, I know with certainty that the Savior understands what both Barbara and I are going through, 
no matter our earthly trials, a beautiful aspect of the Savior's enabling power is that we can not only be given strength to experience and overcome hard things, but also do it all with joy. You can submit your own articles, ideas, or feedback at liahona.churchofjesuschrist.org. We can't wait to hear from you. Read by April Johnson Young Adults Covenants Can Transform Our Relationships by Emily Abel Covenants can give us power to love ourselves, serve others, and return to our Heavenly Father and Savior. As a child, I was proud to be able to define a big word like covenant. Whenever the topic came up at church, I would proudly burst out, A covenant is a promise between me and God. Growing up, I made covenants through baptism and in the temple, and my definition remained mostly unchanged. I saw covenants as a set of rules for me to follow, and then God would hold up His side of the bargain by bestowing promised blessings. To me, covenants seemed to be something to check off a list of life to-dos. I could see how other gospel practices, like prayer and fasting, were about developing a relationship with Heavenly Father. But covenants seem to be about Heavenly Father's rules. Well, it turns out that my childhood definition was a good start, but it needed a few more lines if covenants were going to transform my life the way God intended them to. Filling in the missing pieces. These words from Elder Garrett W. Gong of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles were a helpful starting place for my evolving definition of covenant. By divine covenant, we belong to God and to each other. Covenant belonging is a miracle. It is not to give up on ourselves, on each other, or on God. Since finding that quote, I've realized that covenants have a daily impact on our lives. When we truly live by the covenants we've made, we don't give up on ourselves, on the people around us, or on God. Our covenants help us understand the true nature of our relationships and give us the power we need to develop them. Covenants are about more than following rules. They are about strengthening relationships. Let's look at three key relationships in our lives and how our covenants can transform them. Our relationship with ourselves, with others, and with our Heavenly Father and Savior. Recognizing our eternal identity. Everyone craves a sense of identity. When I was in high school, I found much of my identity on my love for dance. I founded much of my identity on my love for dance. As I was consistently taking dance classes and giving performances, dancer was a core part of who I was. But then I graduated from high school, and life took me on a path away from dance. Without dance, I lacked a daily drive and I ached to feel like I was part of a group again. I struggled with despondent feelings for weeks as I tried to rediscover who I was and where I belonged. This difficult experience taught me that while some identities are fleeting, others can enrich our lives forever. Elder Gong taught, With infinite love, God beckons us to come believe and belong by covenant. The age-old paradox is still true. 
in losing our worldly self through covenant belonging, we find and become our best eternal self, free, alive, real. Being a member of a dance group was a meaningful, instructive experience, but focusing too much on my label as a dancer distracted me from my eternal identity. What helped me refocus on my eternal identity was reminding myself of my baptismal covenants. By deciding to shape my identity first and foremost around being a disciple of Jesus Christ, I found the belonging I craved. I also realized that making and keeping sacred covenants with God helps us keep our focus on Christ, which will help us excel in all areas of life. I believe Christ cares about my love for dance and has helped me find success in doing it. I just had to learn to not let dance be the basis of my identity. This mortal journey will look different for everyone, but keeping covenants and staying on the covenant path can bring all of us the power we need to become our best selves. Deepening our love for others. Loving relationships are one of the most fulfilling parts of life, but they can also be hard to build and maintain. Through our covenants, we will better understand how to love the people around us. Elder Gong said, In the revelation of our true divine selves through our covenants with God, we learn to recognize and love our brothers and sisters as He does. Covenants can transform our perspective of earthly relationships. For example, after a friend of mine was baptized in her 40s, she said she had a different understanding of her role as a mother. Knowing that Heavenly Father would guide her through the gift of the Holy Ghost gave her reassurance that she could help her children overcome their individual challenges. Being a covenant keeper can bless our earthly relationships in many ways, including the following. When we remember the eternal nature of covenants, we can find increased hope, strength, and patience in difficult relationships. As we become better at keeping promises, we can develop a deeper level of trust in one another. Mourning with those that mourn can help us develop feelings of closeness and love. When we recognize that we are all children of Heavenly Father, our hearts can be filled with love for even complete strangers. Those are just a few examples, but I am grateful that as we keep our covenants, Heavenly Father can lend us power to develop the attributes and perspectives needed for successful relationships. Strengthening our relationship with God and Jesus Christ. While it is true that the same words are used when individuals make certain covenants, such as baptism and the temple endowment, there are two words that were spoken when I entered these covenants that made them unique. Emily Abel. Those two words turned universal covenants into my personal invitation for Christ to be present in my life. Because of those covenants, I am now, through the priesthood power, bound to Christ by loving ties. And He is now bound to me. The same is true for every person who makes covenants. Dr. Ellie L. Young, Associate Professor of Clinical Psychology and Special Education at Brigham Young University, said, Being bound to Christ means that we know Him, 
We feel His comforting love. We feel His guiding hand in our lives. Our covenants are, at least in part, about learning to love our Heavenly Father and Savior and to know their voices and seeing our covenants as part of a personal, evolving relationship with them is essential to returning to the covenant path when we stray. When we do make a wrong turn while trying to walk the covenant path, they call out and invite us to return. Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ are always willing to forgive when we sincerely want to come closer to them. Now I know that honoring my covenants means having a strong relationship with Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. Even after we commit a major sin, our covenants are not forever nullified if we repent. Our Father in Heaven and Savior invite us to come and begin making repairs. As Elder Jeffrey R. Holland of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles said, It is not possible for you to sink lower than the infinite light of Christ's atonement shines. In a world with so much competition, I am grateful for covenants that help me remember my infinite worth. In a world filled with complex relationships, I am grateful that covenants can guide my interactions with others. And in a world full of challenges, I am grateful for my Heavenly Father and Savior who will help me navigate my way safely home. The author lives in Utah, USA. Read by Rena Nelson. For Young Adults The Blessings of Being a Temple Worker by Robert Perry Serving in the temple made the ordinances and blessings even more special to me. When I first went to the temple, I was awestruck by the majesty of the Lord's house. I felt clarity about who I was, why I was on earth, and where my path could lead me when I focused on Christ. I had just been called to serve a mission in England, and I was excited to go through the temple before I left. I prepared myself beforehand by learning about temple ordinances and preparing myself to make covenants with the Lord. Afterward, I knew I wanted to go there consistently throughout my life, and that decision influenced my desire to serve as an ordinance worker too. Sacrificing to Serve as Elder Ronald A. Rasband of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles taught, attending the temple increases our understanding of the Godhead and the everlasting gospel, our commitment to live and teach truth, and our willingness to follow the examples of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I wanted to invite those blessings into my life, so when I returned home from my mission, I spoke to my bishop about becoming a temple worker. I was eventually called to serve in the Washington, D.C. temple for a few months while I was working to save money for school. I served in the temple during the 6 p.m. shift every Friday night. This schedule required me to leave my job early and travel for two hours. It was a big and sometimes tough commitment to keep every week. At the time, I was working long hours doing lots of physical labor so I was usually pretty tired from my temple shift. I was also mentally exhausted most of the time with preparing to go back to college and figuring out what I was going to do for the rest of my life. But during the shifts, I was always excited to learn more about the ordinances, and despite my constant fatigue and endless to-do list, I somehow found peace in the temple 
I always left feeling grateful for the chance to serve the Lord there, and I felt spiritually renewed at the end of each shift as I focused on the Savior. The peace I felt also helped me find direction and answers for my life. Making Time My temple service ended when I moved away to attend college, and I was so busy and overwhelmed with my studies that I didn't attend the temple as often. I started to notice a nagging feeling that I needed to serve there again, so I met with my bishop to ask about it. I received a call to serve in the temple on Saturday afternoons. Yes, I was so busy, but I was thrilled to make time to serve in the Lord's house every week. With each shift, I grew closer to the Savior and to Heavenly Father, and I was able to enjoy the peace that is unique to His house. Enjoying the Blessings of the Temple my temple service has been somewhat brief, but I can testify that my time serving has changed my life for the better. Because of the sacrifices I made to serve and because of the goodness of the Lord, I truly feel like I received the blessings of the temple that President Russell M. Nelson once described. I promise you that the Lord will bring the miracles He knows you need as you make sacrifices to serve and worship in His temples. I have experienced those miracles, and I know you can too, as you make temple service a key part of your life. We won't all have the opportunity to serve as a temple worker, but by participating in temple and family history work, keeping and honoring our covenants, and attending the temple when we are able, we can all come closer to Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ and invite their guidance and goodness into our lives. And when they are our focus, we can always have peace in our hearts, no matter what challenges we face. The author lives in Utah, USA. Read by Kristen Hawkins More for you in YA Weekly How do covenants affect my relationship with others? What blessings come from doing temple and family history work? How can I find more meaning in temple worship? You can find answers to these questions and others in this month's YA Weekly, located in the Young Adults section under Audiences in the Gospel Library. Each month in YA Weekly, you can also find new articles and insights about missionary work, help in gaining life skills, devotionals from church leaders speaking to young adults, and more. Read by Wes Nelson Digital only, young adults, our joy for a new temple in Vanuatu. Young adults in this island nation share their joy and excitement over the announcement of a temple in their country. Louisette Desire Wayane of Vanuatu. He remembers you, me, and all the isles of the sea. I remember hearing the word temple for the first time when I was eight years old and being taught by the missionaries. I had been raised with different beliefs, and while I didn't understand the whole meaning of the word temple in the context of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I later learned what temples are, why they are so important, and how we can prepare to perform the ordinances inside. 
I have always loved reading in the church magazines about so many beautiful and miraculous experiences from members of the church who have been able to attend the temple. Their experiences have strengthened my desire to live worthily, even though I do not have a temple on my island nation. I also have empathy for others who, like me, do not have close access to a temple. But it's so very dear to me that no matter where you live, the blessings of the temple will always come in the Lord's own due time. I've always known that the Lord won't stop pouring His blessings on us when we are faithful to Him, regardless of if we have a temple nearby. And I am beyond grateful for the simplicity of a tiny step of faith, that we can learn faithfully and wait patiently for the Lord, line upon line, precept upon precept. 2 Nephi 28.30 I acknowledge and praise the Lord's timing and His great work that He wants me to be a part of. When our beloved prophet, President Russell M. Nelson announced during the October 2020 General Conference that Port Vila, Vanuatu, would have a temple. I felt so much peace. I won't forget the tears of joy I shed, because he loves and is aware of his children. He still remembers those who are upon the isles of the sea. 2 Nephi 29.7 I bear my testimony that the Lord has unique purposes and plans for all countries around the globe. He knows the desires of His children to receive all the blessings of the gospel, including those that come from the temple. For those who do not have temples yet, I invite you to wait patiently, keep being faithful, and look forward to the blessings that are on the way for you. I love this gospel so very much because of its fullness of holiness and light. Louisette Desire Wayane of Vanuatu The Lord is hastening His work, and I'm here to help. It was an indescribable feeling and a moment that I will cherish for a lifetime when President Nelson announced that a temple would be built in Vanuatu. It was unexpected news, but I trust in the Lord, His timing, and His work. I came to realize that the Lord is hastening His work in His own wisdom. When the announcement was made, all I could think of was my family, friends, leaders, and everyone else who had sacrificed to help build the kingdom of God in Vanuatu. I gained more appreciation for our own pioneers who cleared the path. I know some of them have left this mortal life and are now rejoicing on the other side of the veil. To them I say thank you. I am humbled to know that my family can now partake of the blessings and the ordinances of the temple. Right now, members of the church in Vanuatu sacrifice a lot just to get to the temple in Fiji or New Zealand. Some get to attend only once in their lifetime. Now we are blessed to have the Lord's house built in our own land. For that, I am eternally grateful. I want to invite us all to prepare spiritually for when we will welcome houses of the Lord into our own lands. We are going to make eternal covenants and participate in the work of salvation on both sides of the veil. I know that as we strive to be worthy of the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost, we will be better prepared to enter the Holy House of the Lord. Right now, I am serving as a district clerk. 
I am motivated to help our district president and the children of God, whom Heavenly Father has entrusted to our care, to prepare for that great day when the Vanuatu Temple is open. And I pray that that same spirit I felt the moment the announcement was made will be a motivation in helping me move forward. I appreciate the opportunity to express my thoughts and feelings about this great historic announcement. All I can say is thank you to Heavenly Father and to President Nelson for being the Lord's mouthpiece on earth today. Dak Tivles, Luganville District, Vanuatu The temple gives us a glimpse of heaven. Everyone searches for something to inspire or heal them, both spiritually and temporally, in this mortal life. For me, being a member of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is that something. Since I joined the church 12 years ago, I have never regretted my decision. It has blessed my life in a huge way. When I got baptized, I started hearing a lot about the temple. Other members would always talk about how important it was to them. It was something that always brought peace to my heart and motivated me to move forward. I knew that I wanted to go there one day and experience the joy that they had felt. Later, I chose to serve a mission and was called to the Australia-Brisbane Mission. Entering the Hamilton New Zealand Temple for the first time was the best feeling ever. I will never forget that experience. The words I would use to describe how I felt are joy, peace, and happiness. I really felt Heavenly Father's love for me, and the Spirit was strong. It motivated me to always stay strong throughout my mission and afterward. As members of the church in Vanuatu, we had always dreamed of having a temple in our nation. But then, when President Nelson announced it, it was like our dreams were becoming a reality. Having a temple here in Vanuatu means that our lives will be much busier, but in a good way, because we will have the ability to do more temple and family history work. I remember hearing a general conference talk about always having the temple in your sights. When you do, you have that enzyme. You will always have something to look forward to. The temple helps us keep the perspective that life is not limited by problems. The eternal perspective there can give us the motivation to keep on trying, keep on believing, keep on exercising faith, and keep on trusting. For me, having a temple here in Vanuatu is a great blessing. It's a glimpse of heaven. Eunice Hoyesi James, Port Vila Stake, Vanuatu. Read by April Johnson. Young Adults Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ Can Help Us Make It to the Temple by Rinka Izumida. I faced a lot of opposition before I received my endowment, but relying on Christ helped me prepare to make those covenants. When I was a child, my family traveled to the Tokyo Japan Temple. The 12 hour car trip was long but we were grateful for the time we got to spend together, and we spent the drive discussing our excitement about going to the temple. At the time, I wasn't yet 12 years old, so I was only able to enter the temple lobby, but the sacred nature of that space filled my heart with the warmth of the Spirit. I could have stayed in that lobby forever. So when it came time to return home, 
tears started streaming down my face. The temple quickly grew smaller and smaller in the distance as we drove away, and I already missed the strong spirit I had felt inside. I was determined to return one day. If the spirit was that strong in the lobby, I couldn't wait to experience what it felt like to actually go inside and perform ordinances. I wanted to do whatever I could to prepare to go inside someday. Facing Opposition Although I always strove to keep the commandments and live worthily, I truly started preparing to receive my own endowment before going on my mission. I took a temple preparation class that was very helpful to me. Two ministering sisters offered to answer questions and help me know what to expect. And as I listened to their experiences and their testimonies, my anticipation to enter the temple intensified. But much to my surprise, after I finished taking my temple prep class, and as the day of my endowment drew closer, I started facing a lot of temptations. Likewise, I saw a lot of opposition in preparing to serve a full-time mission. I experienced a lot of anxiety. My mental health started to dwindle, and I had to take necessary steps to face my feelings and move forward with faith. As this was happening, I realized that the adversary did not want me to take these great spiritual steps. Finding Strength in Christ To combat this opposition, I prayed every day for help to overcome temptations and my anxious feelings. I relied on Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ more than I ever had before. I fasted, studied the scriptures, and sought revelation. I prayed for strength to make the right decisions, to overcome my weaknesses, and to simply feel peace in my heart and keep an eternal perspective. Those small spiritual practices helped me better recognize and follow the promptings of the Spirit. I also felt my anxiety lessen. I gained a greater understanding of the healing power of Jesus Christ and was often enveloped in peace when I turned to Him. Ironically, it was through facing temptations and fear that I was able to come closer to Christ and prepare myself to receive my endowment. And when I entered the Sapporo Japan Temple, the familiar spirit I'd felt as a child in the Tokyo Temple lobby was there. But this time, it was so much stronger, just as I had always imagined it would be. After receiving my endowment, I sat quietly in the celestial room and said a prayer, asking Heavenly Father what He wanted me to know. The Spirit revealed to me that Heavenly Father knew me and my circumstances. See Doctrine and Covenants, section 38, verse 2. I knew that He was pleased with me for making covenants and that He wants us to come to His house, a house that can truly distance us from the hectic world while strengthening us and bringing us closer to Him and Jesus Christ. I felt the most powerful feeling of peace in my heart, and I was also able to receive the revelation I needed to feel confident in my decision to serve a mission. Heavenly Father knows our hearts. I have realized through my journey that God knows the desires of our hearts and that He can help us succeed. If we follow Him with faith and rely on Him for guidance and strength, He can help us prepare ourselves to live worthily and to enter His sacred house. The ordinances of the temple will be even more special to you when you prepare yourself to enter and when you continue to return and serve there. I know that Heavenly Father wants us to receive ordinances and make covenants so we can be with Him again. And even if we cannot attend the temple often, when we strive to stay worthy of a temple recommend, we are worthy of all the blessings He offers through keeping our temple covenants. 
I know that when we keep our covenants and strive to follow Jesus Christ, we will be strengthened to withstand every challenge and temptation we are faced with. And we can invite the Spirit and the blessings and joy that flow from the temple into our own hearts and homes. Don't give in or give up. Before great moments, certainly before great spiritual moments, there can come adversity, opposition, and darkness. Beware the temptation to retreat from a good thing. If it was right when you prayed about it and trusted it and lived for it, it is right now. Don't give up when the pressure mounts. Certainly don't give in to that being who is bent on the destruction of your happiness. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, Cast Not Away Therefore Your Confidence. Ensign, March 2000, pages 7 and 9. More resources to help you prepare for your endowment. Russell M. Nelson, Personal Preparation for Temple Blessings. Ensign, May 2001, pages 32 through 35. Temple Endowment Q&A. Liahona, March 2019, page 49. How I Prepare for Temple Ordinances. Churchofjesuschrist.org forward slash youth, forward slash learn, forward slash temple dash preparation. Rinka Izumida was born in Aomori, Japan. She served in the Canada Edmonton and Japan Fukuoka missions as a full-time missionary. She was a long jumper for 11 years. Now she is working on her dream for the future. Discover more. You can find more articles about understanding and preparing for the temple in the young adult section of the October 2021 Liahona. Check out YA Weekly, found in the Gospel Library under Magazines or Audiences slash Young Adults, for new inspiring content for young adults each week. You can submit your own article, ideas, or feedback at liahona.churchofjesuschrist.org. We can't wait to hear from you. End of Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ can help us make it to the temple. Read by Kara McClellan. Young Adults How the Temple Blesses Our Daily Lives by Michito Matsuoka My life was hectic, but I knew that prioritizing the temple would bless my family and me. I love the temple. I always have. What I especially love about the temple is the way that it strengthens the love between my wife and me, our bonds with our six children, and the overall sense of tranquility in our home. I have truly experienced the power that comes from making and honoring sacred temple covenants and the refuge these holy buildings give us from the temptations and unrest of the world. When my wife and I were married in the Tokyo Japan Temple ten years ago, we set a goal to attend the temple at least once a month together. But soon after, I was called to serve as a temple worker every Friday by the Tokyo Temple Presidency. I was thrilled to be able to serve, but life was also a bit busy at the time. I was in my senior year of university, and it was difficult balancing school with my part-time job at a law firm, our monthly temple trips as a couple, and now an extra temple shift every Friday. In the midst of this extremely hectic period, we prayerfully discussed the matter as husband and wife, and we decided that we would always make the temple a priority in our lives. We knew it would be hard at times, but we wanted to keep our relationship strong and invite blessings and peace into our home. 
It was through these sacrifices to serve in the temple that I truly realized how much of a positive difference the temple makes in my life. The temple helps us grow spiritually in unique ways, and the blessings we invite into our homes when we make time to go are unmatched. In recent years, President Russell M. Nelson has emphasized the importance of the temple in our lives. The assaults of the adversary are increasing exponentially, in intensity and in variety. Our need to be in the temple on a regular basis has never been greater. I plead with you to take a prayerful look at how you spend your time. Invest time in your future and in that of your family. I promise you that the Lord will bring the miracles He knows you need as you make sacrifices to serve and worship in His temples. As we have made sacrifices to attend the temple on a regular basis, the Lord has continued to bless my family and me with these miracles. I have come to know that our prophets and apostles emphasize the importance of the temple in our lives because they know of the blessings the Lord offers us when we enter His holy house, blessings we can only receive through the ordinances of the temple. Visiting often, or if we're unable to visit, keeping our covenants and striving to stay worthy of a temple recommend, will help us spiritually thrive and find peace, even when the world is increasingly turbulent. I am thankful for the covenants I have made and for how the temple helps me feel close to the Lord. I am especially grateful for the spiritual strength the temple has brought into my relationship with my family and into our home. As you prioritize the temple in your life and strive to be recommended of the Lord, you will experience the joy and miracles the prophet has promised to us. Michito Matsuoka lives in the Kanto region of Japan, where he works for a law firm. He is a loving husband and the father of six children. He and his family love the temple very much. Discover more. You can find more articles about the importance of the temple in the Young Adults section of the October 2021 Liahona. Check out YA Weekly, found in the Gospel Library under Magazines, or Audiences Young Adults, for new, inspiring content for young adults each week. You can submit your own article, ideas, or feedback at liahona.churchofjesuschrist.org. We can't wait to hear from you. End of How the Temple Blesses Our Daily Lives Read by Corey McClellan Leah Hona, digital only, young adult. It's worth it. The Temple is a Life-Changing Blessing by Shante Vilas Through the COVID-19 pandemic, my fiancé and I faced a lot of opposition in getting to the Temple, and I started to wonder if we would ever actually get to go inside. My husband and I had a hard time getting married in the temple, and not because we didn't want to. There were many things that kept preventing us from making this sacred covenant. But through this journey of hardship, growth, and love, I have gained a greater testimony of the temple and the blessings that sacred place can bring into our lives. So many setbacks. Things were hard soon after we got engaged. For a while, a lot of unfortunate circumstances prevented us from moving forward to marriage in the temple. So after what seemed like forever, we finally set our endowment and sealing dates for May 2020. Almost everything was planned out. This was finally the time. 
But then the world was hit by the COVID-19 pandemic, and our country, South Africa, went into full lockdown. Once again, the temple and our marriage were postponed. I started to think I wouldn't ever be able to enter the temple, and I wondered if it was even worth all the effort. My husband and I still hadn't even received our endowments, and I felt discouraged because, after preparing for most of my life to be worthy to go, things still weren't working out. But I thought of everything that prophets had taught about the importance of attending the temple and the many blessings we receive when we make covenants with the Lord. President Russell M. Nelson taught that the supreme benefits of membership in the church can only be realized through the exalting ordinances of the temple. So I was still determined to go when the time was right. Worth the wait. Over the next few months, my husband and I fasted, prayed, and exercised faith that we would remain worthy and be able to get married in the temple. And miraculously, in September 2020, the Johannesburg South Africa Temple had a limited opening that allowed my husband and me to receive our endowments. Words can't express how much closer I felt to Heavenly Father and the Savior inside the walls of the temple. It was a spiritually intimate moment that I will never forget, and it was worth the wait. Soon after, my husband and I were finally able to get sealed for time and all eternity in the Lord's house. Our sealing day was so sacred. We were the only couple in the temple at the time, making that eternal covenant to each other and the Lord. I was beyond happy. I felt as if the Savior were sitting beside both of us, saying, I'm pleased with your faith. You finally made it. And we are excited to start a new journey together in which we can return to the temple again and again. The Blessings of the Temple Although temples aren't readily available to us all, when we prioritize visiting the Lord's house and strive to stay worthy of a temple recommend, we can invite blessings into all areas of our lives. As Elder Quentin L. Cook of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles taught, I pray that each of us will honor the Savior and make any necessary changes to see ourselves in His sacred temples. In doing so, we can accomplish His holy purposes and prepare ourselves and our families for all the blessings the Lord and His Church can bestow in this life and eternity. Whenever I think of my temple covenants or attend the temple, I feel closer to Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ and am able to let go of the things of the world and invite peace into my life. Because of the blessings of the temple, my husband and I have been able to look back and see Heavenly Father's hand directing our lives and have increased our faith that He is guiding us every day. I'm grateful for the Temple Endowment, which helps us know how to return to Heavenly Father and for the chance that we have to be sealed eternally to those we love, an indescribable blessing that we have because of the Atonement of Jesus Christ. We can all be worthy of those blessings as we prepare ourselves and follow the Savior's example, despite whatever challenges or setbacks might come our way. Getting there is worth every effort. Believe me. Shante Vilas was born in Gauteng, South Africa. She is the oldest of four sisters and is enjoying married life. She has faith that with Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ on our side, nothing is impossible. Discover more. You can find more articles about understanding and preparing for the temple in the Young Adults section of the October 2021 Liahona. Check out YA Weekly, 
found in the Gospel Library under Magazines or Audiences forward slash Young Adults for new, inspiring content for young adults each week. You can submit your own article, ideas, or feedback at liahona.churchofjesuschrist.org. We can't wait to hear from you. Read by Amanda Saria. Liahona. Digital only. Young adults. I didn't like family history work, but then I experienced miracles. By Yvonne Liu. My family in Taiwan didn't have much information on our family history, but by exercising faith, I was able to witness miracles. When I was 10 and living in Taiwan, my grandmother introduced the missionaries to our family. My dad was able to baptize me, my mom, and my brother. However, soon after we were sealed in the temple, the rest of my family stopped attending church. So, naturally, the responsibility of family history work fell on my shoulders. But that task was never easy for me. I tried to follow the invitations from our church leaders to do this sacred work, but because of various setbacks, I stopped putting in much effort. For one, my parents never liked the idea of doing temple work for the dead. They felt that we were making the decision for our ancestors to receive ordinances and that it was disrespectful to their agency. I also had a hard time finding information about my ancestors. Most Chinese families keep a book of genealogy called a zupu that contains records that trace as far back as 2000 BC. But my family's zupu didn't have the birth and death years of my male ancestors or any information at all about my female ancestors. So I couldn't submit names to the temple or perform ordinances for my ancestors. After these setbacks, I gave up on my family history efforts. Starting again. By the time I got to college, I hadn't thought about family history for years. Then during one semester, my stake encouraged us to set a goal to take a family name to the temple. Our stake leaders promised us that if we would pray before we started doing family history work, we would be led to the ancestors who wanted their ordinances done. At first, I wasn't really excited about this invitation. I had already tried and failed before. However, as I prayed every day to have success in my family history work and for a desire to keep moving forward in my efforts, my heart was softened. And soon enough, I did start feeling a desire to begin again. One night, I felt a strong prompting to open up my family tree on family search and research one particular line of ancestors. After unsuccessfully searching a few different names in a search engine, I found a web page for one of my ancestors. Apparently, this ancestor was a prominent figure during the revolution in Taiwan, and all his information was recorded on this page with sources attached. From there, I was able to find more information about his children and parents, through that random internet search, I was able to find and submit six names to the temple that day, and within a month, I had submitted over 50 names. It was incredible. 
Was I making a difference? Soon I had brought many names to the temple, but I still questioned if my ancestors on the other side of the veil were accepting these ordinances. I wondered if I was making a difference. So I prayed for reassurance, and the next time I went to the temple, as I was finishing a sealing for one of my ancestors, the temple sealer turned to me with tears in his eyes. He told me that he could feel my ancestors' excitement in receiving the ordinance. I knew that God had answered my prayer and that my proxy work was indeed making a difference. As time has gone by, my parents still don't like the idea of family history work very much, but I have felt my ancestors comforting and supporting me, especially when I feel lonely about being the only active member in my family. I feel that they are helping to soften my parents' hearts, too. Elder John A. Witso of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles taught that whoever seeks to help those on the other side receives help in return in all the affairs of life. And I have felt that help coming from the other side. Family history is one of the most exciting and rewarding works we get to do as members of the Church of Jesus Christ. As we are gathering Israel on the other side of the veil, we are gathering an army of angels to support us in our mortal journey. We are connecting with heaven, and we are coming closer to Christ. And as Sister Wendy Watson Nelson testified, family history work will bring miracles in your life and to the lives of those you love. I know that to be true. Tips for finding family names. I worked with Family Search for a time. That experience taught me even more tips and tricks for finding family names. Here are just a few. One, pray beforehand and follow the Spirit. Searching for family names can be similar to Nephi's experience when he retrieved the brass plates. We may not know where or how to start, but if we simply believe and act in faith like Nephi, we will be led by the Spirit. The Lord doesn't give commandments without providing a way for us to fulfill them. Heavenly Father wants us to find our ancestors, and He will show us the way as we continue to press forward with faith. 2. Use the Source Box feature on Family Search to work with others. It's likely that as you are working on your family history line, other distant relatives are working on the same line as well. You can add details in the source box, telling others where you found the information about your ancestors, how accurate the information is, and what information still needs to be gathered. You can find more information about the source box feature on the Family Search website. Three. Look to resources that may contain information about your genealogy. If you don't have much information about your family tree, local government agencies can be a great place to start as they may have access to certain records. Family Search also contains more than 6 billion records from around the world that are free to anyone with Family Search to anyone with a Family Search account. Use the Record Hints.
feature on Family Search to locate your ancestors and look for every possible source from marriage records to death records about your ancestors. You could also try typing your family members' names into a search engine. You might find a lot of information on the internet if your ancestors were famous or were involved in certain events during their lifetime. Getting in touch with living extended family members can be helpful as well. They might be able to answer questions about your ancestors. It's also a great excuse to catch up with family you might not know well. Lastly, think outside the box. For instance, don't be afraid to visit areas or reach out on social media to someone who lives in an area where your ancestors lived. You might find some surprising information. Family history work can be hard sometimes, but there are so many resources to help you along the way. We just have to be willing to reach out and push forward. Yvonne Liu is from Taiwan and currently studies at Utah State University. She served a full-time mission in the Washington, D.C. South Mission. She knows that if we pray to Heavenly Father as we do family history work, He will help us find the names of those who are ready to receive the gospel. She also has seen how family history work can help us increase our spiritual strength and receive protection and comfort in times of trouble. Read by Jane Wise.